welcome everybody once again to another episode of The Wall Behind and Beyond. I am your host, Philip A. Jones. Today, we bring you a panel of ladies who are friends and loved ones of incarcerated men and women confined in Georgia State prisons. Each of the ladies' stories, although unique, are also very similar. We've been hearing all kinds of madness taking place in the Georgia State Department of Corrections, known as GDC. So we wanted to speak with these courageous and strong women to learn firsthand about what really goes down in these institutions. But before we get to the questions, I want to give each of the ladies a chance to introduce themselves and tell us a little bit about their backgrounds. With that being said, welcome, ladies, and thank you for joining us today. So first, let me say thank you so much for the chance to be here with you, Philip, and with you, Erica. It's an honor, and I'm very grateful for it, and I'm grateful to have my uh, co-discussion participants here. So I'm C. Dreams. Um, I am a prison reform activist and an advocate for criminal justice reform and for sex offender registration reform. I'm also currently a candidate for a doctorate of theology. And pretty much what I study is I study the intersection between recidivism, criminology, and how religion and different um, forms of support systems reduce recidivism. And um, I also happen to work part-time as a journalist for Filter Magazine and for a few other publications. And I pretty much exclusively write about the Georgia Department of Corrections and about prison policy and about parole and trying to amplify those stories. So that's me in a nutshell. Thank you, C3, for that. Uh, next Nicole, what about you? Hi, and I as well, I'm thankful to be here um, and to be among this group of ladies coming forward, you know, to discuss all of our issues in the state of Georgia for all our loved ones that are incarcerated. Um, I am really, I am just a general advocate. When I started um, getting familiar with different individuals who were incarcerated wrongfully and things of that nature, it just kind of spiraled for me um, in meeting so many different people and hearing so many issues from parole, you know, to a sentence that, you know, is just um, very lengthy. It's just one thing after another. And so I'm still kind of trying to find my little niche exactly where I belong in all of it. But it's been an amazing journey so far. And I'm just super excited to see you know, the changes that we can make in the future. Uh, thank you, Nicole. We appreciate you for being on here today. And then Erica, last but not least. Hey, y'all. Thank you for having me here. My name is Erica Rodriguez. I'm also known as Prison Wife RDZ on Twitter. So if you want to see what I'm posting, you can find me there. But my journey kind of started in 2020 when my husband and myself were arrested um, here in Georgia. And, um, you know, I got online on Facebook and I started finding a lot of, you know, groups, criminal justice groups. And that's kind of where my interest, you know, started to come. And, you know, ever since then, I've just been a prison and parole advocate. I'm also with an organization called FAIR, Fighting Against Institutionalized Railroading. I've been with them for about two years and, you know, we're just, we're, we're still here fighting. Absolutely. I know about that. You know what I'm saying? I'm uh, friends with one of the people who founded it. And uh, and uh, maybe we can find some solutions to some of you guys' issues that's going on down in Georgia. So the first thing I want to know, and I know you guys went into it a little bit. Tell me how you first got involved in prison reform and criminal justice work. 
Erica, would you like to go first on this one? So again, you know, we were arrested in January 13th of 2020 on some conspiracy charges out of Jones County, Georgia. You know, I was pregnant at the time. I did miscarriage, you know, my baby inside their jail. We were being threatened, you know, with 30 years. And, you know, I, I finally made it out of the jail, but my husband, you know, stayed behind. He did have a prior criminal history. Um, so he was denied bond. And again, you know, I just jumped on Facebook and I started, you know, looking for criminal justice groups. And, you know, I found they have no voice, prison reform, inmate support for Georgia. And, you know, I just was on there every day, constantly, you know, looking for answers, you know, trying to fight my husband's case and my case as well. And so, you know, I just met a lot of people and, you know, I just seen all these different situations of, you know, what people were posting, you know, what their loved ones were going through. And, you know, it just, it, it really broke my heart and it, it broke my heart to see me, you know, my husband have to return back to prison after he's, he's been locked up since he was about 15. And, you know, I just, like I said, I, I met the president of Fair, which is Demita Bishop, you know, and I joined her organization and I just started networking with different lawyers, different advocates. And, you know, it's, it's brought me where I am today. See, just look to go next. So I got into prison activism and I guess activism adjacent because I was incarcerated. Um, I went to prison and I spent several years there and to make it really worse for me as I'm a transsexual woman. So I actually was incarcerated in the men's prison and I saw how bad it was. And I saw um, just really terrible things. And I heard a lot of stories and I was kind of moved by the plight of the people in that situation. And um, I also saw that while there were some voices that were kind of like lone voices screaming into the wind out, they were, they were all liberated people though. They were not really anybody who was incarcerated, who was actively trying to amplify the stories of like just the pure travesty of human conditions that exist in prison. And so I actually began my journey into activism from behind the bars. I began to publish and I um, wrote a book and I did like online criminal justice panels and um, was on podcasts and stuff like that. And um, so for me, I guess I got into activism through my own experiences, but also just because I carry the stories and the experiences of people with me that I served time with. So I can never forget them. I can never forget what they're going through. Well, absolutely. And I uh, won't forget that you started this when you were behind, but now you're out and you're doing wonderful things, amazing things. Uh, yes. Yeah, so I got started in all of this by um, losing my ex-husband while he was in custody in a county jail in Tennessee. He committed suicide, allegedly. Now, when I went back and I looked at the video footage outside the cell and the, I looked at the logs, I could see so many um, these minutes that were off and had only they had actually did their job accordingly. You know, they would realize that every minute counts and he might be here today. So I started searching different like the other ladies, you know, different groups online. And that's when I came across my OG, as I call him, the very first um, inmate I started advocating for. And once I met him and I heard a story and I started working with him, I started just really networking. And again, like I said, you know, in the introduction, there are so many problems and it's like, well, how do we like ultimately where do we start to fix this and of course that's going to start you know prison reform is going to start from you know the laws things changing different leaders just things like that so that's kind of where i'm at at this point and i'm happy that you guys 
despite the fight, did not simply disaccepting what's going on. In your experience with the Georgia Department of Corrections or GDC, how have you, as a friend or family member of an incarcerated person, been handled? Okay, Nicole, would you like to take this one? Sure. In my experience um, in trying to deal with the GDC, whether you're calling, you know, just to do a wall check on an inmate or you're calling, you know, for whatever reason to speak with a counselor, you usually, you know, you'll get um, a, a busy signal. Um, you get passed around from one person to another. It, I mean, no matter the, the issue, it seems almost impossible to get a direct answer and to get somebody who wants to help you. Um, and it can be a little bit overwhelming and frustrating, you know, because there's not a whole lot you feel like you can do. And you just want to make sure that your loved one is okay. And they really just, they don't care. And, and so that's hard, you know, for us out here when we're trying to help them in there. Erica, would you like to go next? So when advocating on, you know, my loved one's behalf or, you know, anybody else that I do advocate for with GDC, um, I got to sit there and say that maybe I've been a little bit blessed with the, you know, certain employees that I have dealt with there. I pretty much get things that I need done, whether it's a transfer or, you know, just just anything really that I asked for. The only thing that I can sit there and say is that sometimes they sit there and they they lie or they don't do what they say that they're going to do sometimes. Like that's that's probably been like my biggest thing. And the only time that's really happened is with um, the warden um, that my husband, well, at the prison where my husband was previously at before he got transferred to where he's at right now you know my biggest part in like communication and you know being able to handle is mainly with parole like it, it's hard to deal with them of course when i was a prisoner my response from the gdc <laughs> my response from the gdc was abysmal it was it was terrible i was treated like a non-person but um now in my capacity as an activist and a journalist um they are very wary of me <laughs> as they should be they know they have an enemy enemy out of me and um they tend to try to give me the run around the few prisoners who I advocate for, I advocate on behalf of one one particular person, a transgender prisoner. I advocate on her behalf and I also advocate on behalf of two other guys, an elderly gentleman who has been locked up for 58 years and another gentleman who's been locked up for 21 years and they were both convicted as minors. And so um, my pretty much their response to me is they're just exasperated with me. Um, I've had them be completely rude to me. I've had them hang up on me. I've had emails um, returned that don't even answer the crooks of what it was that I was emailing and, and, you know, in regards to pretty much the totality of the response that I've had has been very consistent with the stories that I've heard, not only from family members and loved ones of other incarcerated prisoners, but also from state lawmakers, auditors, from Department of Justice investigators. I speak to these people regularly. I have contacts who are state representatives and um, they get the same type of pushback that the families do. Let's get back to it. I'm on my third question and it's starting to heat up. Thank you all for listening, subscribing and sharing my podcast. Here are three ways to help me today. Consider donating if you can to my GoFundMe for my freedom efforts. You can find that by typing in Incarcerated Lives Matter, Philip Alvin Jones on GoFundMe. Subscribe today to my YouTube channel, The Wall Behind and Beyond. Comment and share. We are on our journey to a 1,000 subscribers. We can do this. Visit GrantParoleToPhilip.com. It's a one-stop shop that has my direct contact info and awesome social media sites. Please get in touch with us if you'd like to help in any way with Team Philip. 
Thank you and keep listening to The Wall Behind and Beyond. I want to know from you guys, what is the prevailing theme of the prison system in general in Georgia? What have you been hearing from the incarcerated population over there? Erica, would you like to go first? Sure. Um, so mainly the feedback that I get from a lot of you know people who are incarcerated is the lack of nutrition that they receive when they do receive their you know, meals, the proportions of, you know, the meals, um, the lack of staff that is, you know, available to provide um, security, you know, over the prison, Um, a lot of deaths. I know that probably every day that I open up my Facebook, um, I see where there's a Facebook group, you know, who's on it, you know, every day when somebody dies, they're, they're posting. Um, and it seems like, you know, the death rates are increasing versus decreasing and, you know, just a, a lot of violence that that's, that's a big feedback that I get from people is that it's just violence all the time. And, you know, a lot of people are strung out on the drugs that are in there. The, the prisons are very much infested with drugs, K2, meth. I mean, ecstasy pills just anything that you can think of they they have it in there they probably have more drugs in prison than they do on the streets but you know it's it's affecting people you know and how they act and um also there's no ac in the prisons so during the summer times and this is georgia so you know our summers are pretty hot you know they're they're exhausted from the heat wow that's crazy and so they're not really all right, Nicole, would you like to go? Uh, sure. So um, a lot of what I'm going to say, you know, is kind of going to be a repeat of what she had to say. But, you know, a lack of staff is huge. And that's so key in a lot of the issues, um, especially inside like where state prison, for example, um, it is a close security prison. I do network, you know, I have several um, gentlemen there that, you know, I've come to just get to know and I'm, I'm trying to help them. Um, with that being said, these guys are running that prison because they don't have COs there to to be there. You know what I'm saying? Um, one of the, the deaths have went up as well. And one of the guys that passed away over the summer, he hung there for two and a half, um, I believe, hours uh, before there was a staff member in the dorm to um, attempt to get him down. And so, you know, it's just consistently, the like she said, the death rate is just going up and it's scary. Um, you know, the guys in there, like she said, they're they're hot. They, they're not getting their meals, you know, on time. They're not going, okay, like example, they're on a lockdown right now and they are not being offered their showers and things like just their daily needs are not being met. And so tensions are rising, the violence is increasing and it's just, it's a cycle that just does not stop, you know, and, and they're just, they're frustrated, they're tired of it. And, and that's just, I think that's all across the board and in each of the prisons in the state of Georgia. Wow. Yeah, so I've actually written about this at length, you know, as both of these ladies, Nicole and Erica have said, of course, there are the kind of what I call standard prison issue, drug problems, violence problems, but in kind of the incubatory period, 
that pan- the pandemic has created, plus the emerging, actually really the peaking um, understaffing crisis. And I, um, I always say that understaffing, correctional understaffing is the unsung American pandemic. The correctional enterprise is failing. I like the way that you phrased the question. You said, what is the prevailing theme of the Georgia Department of Corrections? If I had to depict a tableau, I would say that it's essentially the failure of society. Society is failing to elect officials who are holding the Department of Corrections responsible. They are failing to implement procedures of transparency and accountability, not just for the upper echelon, should I say, of the Georgia Department of Corrections, but also at the institutional level. They are failing to discharge their constitutional onus under the constitutional, their their burden to provide not just custody, but also care. And I actually have a piece coming out soon with Filter Magazine in about three weeks about, um, in other words, the, the prison system's absolute abject failure to provide an environment that is actually rehabilitational and how it's actually just a place where they warehouse people, filter drugs in, get them high and let them kill each other. Wow, that's a powerful statement. And I'm telling you, you are hitting the nail on the head. It all goes hand in hand. So see dreams as a formerly incarcerated trans woman. How has your experience been when you were in there and what was treatment like for you? It was tough. I, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. I understand the reason for placing people. I actually support the reasons for placing people that have not had kind of their final surgery in the prisons that they would prefer to be in. However, I was incarcerated for a lengthy period, um, just shy of a decade. And I went through so much at the hands of staff and at the hands of prisoners, you know, but particularly worse were the people that were supposed to be my protectors, my providers, the people that were supposed to discharge, not just custody, but also care of my person. They let me down. The story that I have to tell is actually a very common story with incarcerated trans people and not even just incarcerated trans people, trans women in men's facilities, but also LGBT people in more general. And then it's also kind of the story of just victimization in America's prisons and Georgia's prisons. Um, Luckily, I had the ability and I had the kind of the follow through to enforce my rights. I went to court several times. I won representing myself and um, I just fought them tooth and nail every step of the way. And unfortunately, there are a lot of people who do not have the resources nor the connections to put up a good fight for their existence, for their safety, for their health. And then there are other people who they lack the, um, I don't want to say the brains, but they they just, something's not clicking where they can't, they can't sit down and pick the law up from scratch, you know? So I I did that for those who couldn't. Thank you for sharing that. That was powerful. I think it's more like an ethical issue. And what's happening is that they keep talking about a lack of training or they keep talking about they are understaffed. Well, the problem is it goes deeper than that. My next question is that, what do you think? Nicole, would you like to go first? Yes, ma'am. Okay, so first and foremost, it's got to start again with administration. We've got to go like to our commissioner, Timothy Ward, who has over time said that the GDC um, basically is not doing the things 
that unfortunately we can prove that they are doing, that they are allowing and that they are getting away with. And so until we we do something with them, we hold them accountable and we put the right people in their place, nothing is gonna gonna be fixed, you know, down the chain. Um, and then we have we have the overcrowding. Okay, during COVID, you know, they really so many inmates and they were very, um, you know, they're more lenient, you know, with house arrest, things of that nature. There were different plans of action taken into place. And so I look at that and I think, okay, well, if we could get these numbers down then, why can't we do that now? When there are men that can be released, but, the, you know, the parole board is not letting that happen. So those two things right there, those are very key, you know, and just trying to get the staff, you know, back into the, the prisons, um, Something's going to have to happen there because there's so many, you know, of our loved ones, our inmates, and there's very few, um, you know, COs in the, some of the prisons to even watch them. So it's going to take time, you know, to kind of balance out. But something, you know, has to be done because, you know, it's just it's getting worse. But we got to start, you know, with the, the source of the problem. And that's the commissioner and then take it from there. Okay. So... For me, it's leadership. Our leadership here in Georgia is just bad, starting from the governor, because he he needs to go. And I'm just going to flat out say it like, because even with the commissioner not doing his job, the governor still could step in and see, you know, see to these problems and assist in these problems. But yet he doesn't do anything. Every time, you know, any of these conditions like that hits the news or, you know, it's going around like you never see Governor Kemp anywhere. He's not saying anything. You know, he's all for, you know, mass incarceration. You know, he that's his thing, you know, I, I guess. But um, but again, you know, we need a new governor. We definitely need a new commissioner and so down, you know, on the line of new admin administration and, and all that. We also need new laws, you know, placed in line because if we change some of the laws, one, it'll release a lot of people, you know, like marijuana. We have a lot of people locked up for marijuana and that's legal across, you know, many of the other states. So a lot of people could, you know, just be free just by changing those laws. Um, also, I've been telling people we need oversight over our parole board because the governor, he appoints our board members, but yet he doesn't oversee anything that they do. And um, a couple of weeks ago, I put a parole rally together where I filled their board meeting room up to the point to where the employees were having to stand up. Um, and I plan to keep on doing it. But, you know, even when Josh McMoran, he's a Democrat over Sandy Springs, um, he's a House representative, you know, even when he was speaking, which I posted the video live, you know, there was two board members, which one of them was the chairman, and they were just clearly leaning in the back of their seats. You know, they, they showed no compassion as to what he was saying and what another advocate, Roxanne Thompson, was saying. He just was like, you know, these sound that well, this all sounds like prison conditions and nothing about parole. But what he didn't understand is that if parole would sit there and follow the grid sheet and, you know, start trying to decrease the population, then the prison condition conditions could then start, you know, getting fixed as well. But when you have 47,000 uh, offenders incarcerated and 9,000 employees, and this came from their own website, the GDC website, how, how do you expect to move people around or, you know, fix things or do any of that when, when, when look at the numbers, 47 against nine, like, I don't see any change like that happening, but 
that's that's like my my main thing is you know new leadership and oversight over the parole board so while both of these women make completely valid points about changes in the leadership that is a start. However, I think that as far as a more immediate solution goes, there are pros and cons to the militarization of our prisons. Right now, Georgia has the highest, actually, we actually have a murder rate in our prisons that are that is higher than some towns and small cities annual per capita death rate. I think that the militarization of the prisons would serve a immediate kind of short term, allow the prisons to get more reoriented, um, and allow the few correctional staff there is to be able to do their jobs better. I think that there needs to be more security presence to make number one, predators feel like they cannot predate on others and to make would be victims feel safer. We need to restore a semblance of programming in the prisons that will kind of heal some of the tumultuous conditions inside. But overall, we need a cultural shift, a paradigm shift in the state of Georgia and not just in Georgia, but kind of as a as a collective national culture we have to move away from this kind of rough on crime you know punitive rhetoric and move towards not only an ideology but actions that are actually steeped evidence-based wise in rehabilitation and lowering recidivism rates as far as the parole issues go and as far as the gdc some of the other things that we could do and i've examined this closely in several articles and you know erica says that there's 47,000 people in GDC's custody. That's true, but it's only technically true. The Georgia Department of Corrections has both constructive and actual custody. So that means the people that are in its actual facilities right now, plus the people who are waiting for bed space who have already been sentenced or are almost guaranteed to be found guilty or plead guilty. They're in the constructive custody of the GDC as well. It's estimated by georgiareform.org that there are roughly 80,000 would-be prisoners in Georgia. So I think that Last year, we failed with the Accountability and Corrections Act. We need to rewrite that act and begin to push for it. And we need to try to strum up um, bipartisan uh, support so that we can hold corrections officials responsible. We also need to take away some of the autonomy and the kind of a total discretion over parole decisions away from the board. We need to remove some of that power, put it back to some extent, either into the governor's office or make maybe a legislative oversight council. We need to start breaking down the good old boy system here in Georgia that has partitioned the public off from the people that are being warehoused in the prison systems. If we do all of these things, which will take time, obviously, then we might actually possibly have a humane system. I definitely think so. And I think that states like Ohio, Montana, and South Carolina that have used their National Guard in response to severe understaffing crises, they've shown that the military, given time to adjust and acclimatize to their new role, can do a more humane job. Now, if you're looking for babysitters and people that are going to wipe prisoners' tears, 
don't use National Guardsmen. But if you're looking for professionalism, if you're looking for the careful discharge of duties, if you're looking for humane constitutional environments that are safe and well run, then I think that the military is a viable option. Oh, thank you so much for having us. I'm honored. I'm really enjoying the questions. and I'm enjoying Nicole and Erica. Let's start with Erica this time. So currently I am working to push the Accountability Act bill, like C. Dreams mentioned, that was introduced this year, but it didn't make it all the way through. I do plan to push that bill this coming session when they're all in office starting January. And also, I'm trying to work with a lot of House representatives, which I have a lot of communication with a bunch of, you know, different ones to get a bill put in place for some oversight over the parole board. Um, you know, as Cedrings mentioned, you know, we, we do need a committee. I don't think that it should be handed off to the governor, but I do feel that we, we do need an oversight committee over parole board. So those, those are the two main things that I'm working on right now. You know, things are definitely not going to happen overnight because this is just years and years of, you know, mess, piled on mess, you know, to, to fix overnight. But all I can do is really, you know, just ask people and hope that they do take um, from this to, you know, get involved. If, if you don't have a pen pal and, you know, that's incarcerated, find you on them, you know, like see for yourself of what's going on. Um, follow these groups, you know, and, and just support us. And, you know, I'm, I'm really big in protesting. I, I do like to pull up to the prisons and the parole board with a whole bunch of people. And so, you know, if, if anybody decides to follow me again, my Twitter name is prison wife RDC. I post a lot of things, you know, there when I do things, you know, just show up, show up and, and support and, you know, write, write legislation, write our house reps, let them know you want these bills passed. You want to see oversight over both of these uh, government agents. The more we come together, the louder our voice becomes. So I mirror uh, what Erica has said. And uh, now I want to hear what the other ladies have to this question. Nicole? Sure. So currently I am trying to get together a press conference for Ware State Prison. Like I've said before, I just have a very close um, tie to that prison. And um, it is it is very much in a crisis of itself. And it's a war zone that is just, it's unbelievable. And so those guys, they need our help. Um, and so I'm wanting to try to put something together with as many, you know, people, friends and family um, of loved ones there, of those that have passed away there at the prison, you know, along with media, um, just to finally make somebody say, hey, we've got to do something. Whether it's closing that prison down, you know, bringing in, you know, the the correct help so that they're staffed accordingly, whatever it's going to take, you know, to help get that prison on some kind of track and stop the death rate from climbing. That's what I, that's what I'm working on. So that is my my project that um. Hopefully, we'll have it together in a couple weeks. Awesome. And uh, keep me posted on that so I can put that on my socials as well. And see, Dreams? Yeah. So um, what I'm working on is, number one is, I want to shout out to Erica because what she's doing is, you know, she's primarily fighting for the parole thing. And so I'm partnering with Erica um, to try to support her efforts for the parole organization. I've actually have a pretty pretty big Twitter platform now. So just trying to promote um, the things that the initiatives that she is, you know, um, coming up with, and I'm trying to help her organize. 
On top of that, I'm continuing to talk with prisoners, advocate and write stories that hold up a light to expose the brokenness of the Georgia Department of Corrections, so kind of a system that's in place at large. On top of that, I encourage everybody, follow me on Twitter. My Twitter is at Uncaged Critique. And again, that's at Uncaged Critique. I post a lot of different type of stuff about criminal justice and about reform. Um, And I also host discussion panels. I recently had one. Erica was my co-host on that. And most importantly is I'm promoting the story of a young trans woman named Christina Lynch, who um, has been through a lot in the prison system. I came across her story a few months ago, actually on Twitter, and uh, she's dealt with a lot in the prison system. And she's actually getting ready for release within the next year and a half, I think. So we're just trying to really get that out there and get people to be informed about the stories of the type of prisoners they don't usually hear about. So um, yeah, that's about it. Absolutely, and thank you so much for sharing that. It's all about working together. That's how you build a movement. So in closing, I appreciate you all, all these ladies that came on and talked about what's going down in Georgia. So stay tuned, because we're going to keep all the way funky and real, because we don't have no problem with the truth, and maybe uh, they won't either. See dreams? Uh, yes. Yeah, so the best way to get a hold of me is you can, of course, follow me on Twitter. I, I love Twitter. I'm addicted to it. My Twitter is at uncaged critique um, because, you know, cages, uncage the people and I criticize the prison system. So at uncaged critique. Another way to email me is uh, another way you can reach me is through email at unca- I'm sorry, uncaged critique at gmail.com. And um, you can reach me through Erica's organization because I work closely with her. Okay, Erica. So again, my Twitter handle is PrisonWifeRDZ, uh, R as in Robert, D as in David, Z as in Zebra, because sometimes, you know, people get a little mixed up. Um, it's pretty much for my last name, but again, it's PrisonWifeRDZ. Also, I have a Facebook group that I run. It's called the Anonymous Voices organization that I'm creating. I also have an email for it, the Anonymous Voices one at gmail.com. You can also reach me through Fair Fighting Against Institutionalized Railroading, which is also another Facebook group that you can go to. We we have emails, phone numbers on there. Um, anybody who's you know inside a county jail fighting your case, please reach out to us um, so that way we can advocate for you because we we start from the very beginning of people's cases, not just inside prison and um you know philip he knows how to get in touch with me um so there i I have a tiktok as well pretty big on there it's also prison wife rdz so you can follow me on there and see what i'm posting thank you yes so obviously on facebook nicole haley um on there i'm also part um a group that we've started it's where state friends and family also, there's another private group, Prison Reform, or an email. It is prisonreform767 at gmail. Thank you, ladies, for your time, and thank you for coming on the wall behind and beyond. We look forward to hearing from you again, working with you on some capacity. And please, don't hesitate to reach out and let us know what your experiences are going forward. The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the speaker or our guests and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of the wall behind and beyond.